0: buddy. I'm keeping well, Scott. How are you? I'm doing good, Mr. Bishop. I haven't seen you in such a long time. I know, Mr. Wharton. It's, uh, it's been a while. Probably uh, in the break room at the big box store we both used to work at. Mm-hmm. I don't want to name it because I don't want you to end up with a target on your back or anything. Uh,
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, I told you before that I always wanted to have you on podcast and have this long form conversation just because of the things that we always talk about on Facebook and you're so knowledgeable um you used to be a professor didn't you
1: I taught business and marketing classes at the college level yeah
0: okay you taught business and marketing at the college level what was that like it was a hoot it was a hoot yeah I loved it (laughs) you loved it uh where at or what part of the country at least
1: Oh, uh, let's see, I've taught in New York City, in New Jersey, I've taught uh, here in Fredericksburg at Germana, and I've taught at Georgetown University.
0: Okay, cool. How long did you live in New York for?
1: From 99 until about 2010.
0: Okay, okay. So, not too, too long before I met you, you moved, yeah. moved back here. Yeah. Huh. I'm thinking about going to New York myself for uh, comedy, but...
1: If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's closer to home. Um, I do think that I'll fit in better my my vibe and my culture. Everything that I'm doing will fit in better in L.A. and at the comedy store. Hmm. And that's where I really want to be in my heart of hearts. But uh, for right now, New York seems to be more uh plausible.
1: You'll definitely get some good experience there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And the, um, I think my fast-paced style in comedy, at least my quick-witted jokes, the way they've been lately, um, that that will fit the pace of the city. You know what I mean? Because um, when you watch comedy, I don't know how big of a fan of comedy you are, how much you watch, but when you watch like New York comedians versus L.A. comedians, you can kind of see a difference in pace of how they talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely think that has to do with the the vibe of the city, the culture of the city, uh, oh, I've
1: never been to l a so I don't know, but uh I've spent enough time in New York to uh, to say that it's a good place to polish and hone your craft uh any kind of performing art right yeah, yeah um audiences can be harsh, yeah, but that's how you learn
0: yeah. I think that also has to do with, like I said, once again, the pace of the city. Mm-hmm. Maybe that make, brings out the more critical of everybody. Well, um, you know,
1: when I was teaching up there, I didn't think... I tried to present my, my lectures as more like a show. Right. And my students as as the audience. So mm-hmm. um, so I can attest to having students from New York City what the crowds are like. Right, or, right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, There's a vibe. It's got a vibe This. Unlike any place else.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like the whole culture, like the um, kind of the metro culture, too. I mean, it's metro in DC, but I like the subway kind of walking around.
1: Wait until you've ridden the subway a few times before you draw a conclusion about the New York City subway. Okay, okay. (laughs) The MTA is something else. Yeah, I I imagine that it gets uh, hectic. Hectic, and it's like a Japanese train where everybody is crammed in, only there's no air conditioning. It's the middle of summer. It's like 90 degrees outside, and it's like 114 inside. Everybody is smelling and stinking and sweating. It sounds fun. (laughs) That's why I moved to Virginia, man. (laughs) I was like, I
0: need to be near a farm or something. (laughs) Uh, No, I've been thinking about... That's another thing I've been thinking about New York is because I kind of want to keep Fredericksburg as my home base. I, I do... Love, have a certain love for Fredericksburg. There's a certain panache or something, there's a certain energy or something here. Um, and it's caught in kind of that weird in between of the country and the suburbs and mm-hmm. the city.
1: Virginia oh. is a good place to come home to.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. uh,
1: I was raised here. And, okay. And, um, it was, uh, I started having adventures to go to finish college, go to graduate school. I went to graduate school in New York in the city. And, um, um, taught there for a number of years and had an opportunity to come back and I'd, by that time I would moved to Newark Newark, New Jersey and uh, not the nice part of it either right, yeah, <clears throat> it could be and a harsh city for sure it was it's the Calcutta of the western hemisphere well, the way Calcutta used to be filthy, the sidewalks were sticky and it smelled bad trash everywhere and ah, uh, uh, man, I was so ready to have, breathe clean air. Yeah, to have a forest adjacent to my yard yeah. that I could go for a walk in if I felt like it. So, Virginia and Fredericksburg is a good place to come back to. Yeah.
0: And I feel like with even with all the development they're doing around here right now, um and they as they do every month and every year and as the city is is growing and, and property values are going up, this city and this area is still always going to have a certain level of preservation because of the Civil War um, sites.
1: That's absolutely the truth. Um,
0: So you're, because of that, you're never going to go without nature, you know what I mean? It's never going to be totally um, urban. Um, Let's hope. Yeah, let's hope.
1: I feel like we already have too many used car dealerships up and down Route 1.
0: Yeah, yeah, that Four Mile Fork, and we're we're not far from Four Mile Fork Right. right now, it's, car dealer central, I mean, th- is there anywhere else in the country that has that many car dealerships stacked on top of each other like that? It's I'm sure ridiculous. there must be.
1: I'm sure there must be. But um, I remember when I lived in Oklahoma, um, there was a stretch between Norman, Oklahoma, and uh, Oklahoma City, which is like 25, 30 minutes away, that, um, where it was, it was similar. It was just development, development, development. And, so many used car lots. So I think that this is a pattern of development. Yeah. And uh, where land is cheap, it doesn't seem like it's cheap because we're in the midst of it. Right. But compared to other more urban places, land out here is cheap. A lot of these places that are going up are going up on land that was never anything except farms. Right. You know, so um, these low profit margin businesses. Um, with maybe a little sketchy practices, are easy to 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 just dump on cheap land.
0: Yeah. So I uh, I think that's what's going on. That makes sense. I think there's definitely some truth to that. Mm. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, there's still something special around here. You know what I mean? Um. There's just a certain something. But yeah, there there is a overdevelopment happening. Um. I guess it's because we're like a suburb that the, the D.C. suburb is just moving southern and, and Richmond suburb too is moving northern and uh, yes we're caught right in the middle of that wave. Mm-hmm. and uh,
1: Well, when I moved here, when my family moved to Fredericksburg, it was 1974. We had two McDonald's, there was the one out here uh, at Mine Road and uh, Jeff Davis, Route 1, and there was the one downtown um, near the college. And um, that was it. Damn. There was a few other little mom-and-pop places. The usual Wendy, a Wendy's, a Hardee's, a Burger King, you know. Um, but then it's, it's grown explosively compared to the way I remember it as a child. Yeah. It's a much different place. When I moved back, I was shocked at the, uh, at the amount of traffic. And um, out on Route 3, you know where the Spotsylvania Town Center is now, when I was a kid, that was a, that was a field with a pond in it. And I remember in the early 80s when they built the mall. Right. Them, we used to call the Spotsylvania Town Center. And there would not be a road, there would not be a car on that road. You know, very light traffic. But if you ever try to go out there now, it's as bad as any other place I've ever lived in terms of how long you have to sit in a car to go a mile and a half.
0: Yeah. It's dense over there. Traffic, traffic oh. is bad. Yeah,
1: well, I have strong opinions about development, partly because of my interest in the paranormal. I have a lot of respect for for the dead. Yeah. And um, since so much of this land used to be farms and plantations, you cannot build anything without disturbing somebody's grave. Right, yeah. Probably the grave of a slave. Yeah. And uh, so I I think that growth is important, economic development is important, but we're disturbing things, and it stirs up activity.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's something I wanted to get into, one of the main topics that wanted to talk about, probably one of the main reasons people are tuning in. We were talking about the tenor of the town. I think we got some of the bullshit small talk out of the way, like, oh, traffic, and yeah. they're developing things. But um, Frederick, something I alluded to earlier was the um, battlefields. And Fredericksburg is probably, not only is it one of the oldest cities, but it's also one of the most haunted uh, places on it's, the East Coast. It's the worst kept secret how haunted this area is.
1: And um, if you go downtown to some of those old historic homes, they have a reputation for being haunted. But if you talk to any of the people that live there, they're like, no, no, we don't have a ghost. But there's photographs that people have taken of the, the front of the building where like a Confederate soldier is standing on the other side of the window staring out at you and mists and all kinds of mysterious things, anomalies in the yeah. photographs. And um, it's just like, around this area, the dead seem to outnumber the living. And they're around us all the time, probably around us right now. Yeah, probably. I mean, this, we, is, this is built on the edge of a battlefield.
0: Yeah, we're right here by Lee Hill Battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is literally the edge of the battlefield. Yep. Robert E. Lee and those fellows probably walked right through here when uh, this was all woods and stuff. I wouldn't be surprised. Well,
1: yeah. there was very few woods. It was mostly just, as far as the eye could see, fields. Okay, with a manor house there and a manor house there, plantation houses uh, outside of town. and every once in a while an inn, you know, right. So um, or a post office or something. right. So um, up to the time of the uh, the American Civil War, there's photographs of uh, of the battles, you know, and trees are hard to spot, okay. But uh, yeah, you're right. It was undeveloped, and I'm sure that uh, well, Route 1 is right over here, and that was the main drag between Washington, D.C. and all points south, especially Richmond. Yeah. So armies have marched up and down and passed and through this area many times.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Colonial revolutionary times as well as, I'm sure there was, I mean, um, you know, George Washington, you got to think, his his father built... um, you know, built that house over there, right across from the river, right across from the city, and Ferry Farm, it, yeah. Ferry Farm, and uh, you know George and I know some other guys. They would spend time at the, um, is it the Sunken Well? What's what's the other tavern that's right there on Rising campus? Sun Tavern, the Rising Sun Tavern, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of one of the places that they would talk about revolution and things yeah. of that nature. Several of the founding
1: fathers used to
0: meet up there, and you know.
1: Knock back a few pints, right? Yeah, and uh, and talk politics, right?
0: Like there, and then what's the one in Boston? Um, The Green Dragon, or something like that. Hmm. Um, In Philadelphia, also the whatever place that they went to, but that's where the Continental Congress and all that stuff was. So, um, really, a lot of people don't realize that Fredericksburg was an important city, kind of in that chain of Fredericksburg, D.C., Philadelphia, New York, and Boston. Um, well, Virginia
1: in particular, um, so many of the founding fathers. they yeah. have had more presidents come from Virginia than from any other state. Yeah. Uh, you had Washington, you had Jefferson, you had James Monroe, um, Madison, yep. um, and then there's, a, you know, all of the... Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. Dude was from Virginia. Okay. Uh, Henrico County. And um, so, you know, there was lots of thinking going on around here. Right, yeah. And lots of hobnobbing yeah, and strategizing. Yeah. So, at every level, you know, and um, there's a monument to Hugh Mercer and all these other guys um, from that period as well. It's not, everybody thinks of Virginia and Fredericksburg in particular and Spotsylvania as being civil war. Yeah. And absolutely, some of the worst oh, fighting sure. that ever took yeah. place on the surface of this earth took place in Spotsylvania yeah. County. But,
0: um, and a lot of the, most of the worst battles in the Civil War happened here. Um, I know every, everyone knows Gettysburg, but they yeah. ran through Fredericksburg. All twice. Yeah,
1: Fredericksburg was shelled to pieces twice. Yeah. You yeah, know, in 62, December 62, and then again in
0: 64, I think.
1: And, and you know, All the battlefields at
0: Chancellorsville mm-hmm. and um, Spotsy Courthouse, and, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the area is just littered with them.
1: Yeah, if anybody is interested in seeing what, what the first really modern war looked like, you can just uh, Google uh, "bloody angle." Yeah, and uh,
0: actually, just saw the tree stump the other day at the Smithsonian for the bloody angle. Uh,
1: full of full of bullet holes, right?
0: Yeah. It, yeah. Well, it's um, and it's it's like a stump that was broken by uh, cannonball. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, whatever trees were out there, they got you know mowed down just by the amount of lead flying back and forth. Yeah, yeah.
0: But um, like I was saying, a lot of. Well, We'll get into ghosts in a minute. I want to get into something else. So a lot of revolutionary planning, colonial town. Um, you know, George Washington's father, one of the oldest Freemason lodges mm-hmm. in the in the country. Um, Martha Washington was a prominent uh revolutionary woman. Our our her college is named after her. Um, we have the Mary. Mary, Mary, sorry. Martha was Martha's George's wife. wife yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, duh. What am I thinking? Well, she was a, she was a genius in her own right. Martha was as well. Yeah,
1: um, a very. Uh, as, you know, she didn't have all the benefits of an education that were available, but she was, she was smart. And she knew what she was doing, and uh, a good, a good, right hand person for someone like Washington.
0: Yeah. Um, but the town is built by. Kind of these people, you know what I mean, um, and and these Freemasons, you can you can literally see it, the the, the design of the town and the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a smaller scale of Alexandria. Yes. Which Alexandria is literally designed like a like a compass, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the uh, what is it? The compass and the what is it? What's what's the other tool?
1: Well, you've got uh, the compass. There is a mortar and. Uh, there is
0: the angle. Yeah, the, the angle. Right angle. That's what mm-hmm. I was thinking. Of. Yeah. Um, so that's always that's always interested me too. Uh, since I found out about that, and also that his father was a land surveyor, a land surveyor, a Freemason. So I assume that he was into like geomancy and things of that nature too. Um, Possibly. Um, and understood maybe like ley lines and um, energies of the earth, certain things of that nature. So it's always found it special or uh, important that he decided to build that house where he did at Ferry Farm that and that they built this town where they did in the way that they did for a particular reason, that they saw something that um, we don't or
1: we can't. I would certainly agree that people before the Industrial Revolution were probably in more in touch with the natural world right. than most modern people understand or could appreciate. Um... And those sorts of things would influence decision-making as well. Maybe not even on a conscious level. It's like, we know, we know what ley lines are, but ley lines were not invented in the time of, I mean, they hadn't been, the phrase had not been coined right, when yeah. Washington was around, or when the founders uh, in the 1600s uh, settled the Fredericksburg area. Right. Um, but they probably walked into the place, and they're like, this is a good place. This is a good place to build a town. Right, and just on an instinctive level, they because they were or it was more just the river, and
0: I'm just looking too deep into things. Well,
1: I think there are practical considerations as well for uh, for why they chose the area, why they chose to build Fredericksburg where they did is on the fall line. That's as far in to uh, Virginia as you can sail before you run out of navigable water. Right. To the east of Fredericksburg, the Rappahannock River is a deep enough river that you can bring big ships up the river and dock them at Fredericksburg, but the fall line is right at Fredericksburg, and that's as far west as you can sail on the Rappahannock, and they solved that problem. They wanted to get their ships as far west as they could because as the land to the west of Fredericksburg was being settled and developed into agriculture, they had to get wheat and corn and potatoes and tobacco, cotton. from the foothills. And they didn't want to have to walk it or put it on wagons any farther right. than they ha- absolutely had to. Right. Ships are easy. So uh, this was as far inland as they could get in a big ship. And they eventually extended that by building locks and dams so that barges could float down the river. But they never sailed a, a big ship uh, past the fall line. Okay. So there's that. That's a practical consideration that would figure into the economic development for a while there Fredericksburg was as big in terms of import and export as New York City was at the same time well wow. hard to imagine
0: yeah
1: um, but the river wasn't maintained and it silted up and it wasn't dredged properly and finally New York City beat <laughs> Fredericksburg can you imagine what Fredericksburg would be like now it would be like New York City
0: had they maintained the river mm-hmm. better um, had and economic
1: built- and other factors You know the north was always more industrial than the south was even from the beginning of the country and the industrial revolution took a long time to take off in the south because we had slavery slavery both suppressed and and it uh, stimulated the industrial revolution in a way it provided the the wealth that let the slave owner invest his money in like factories in europe to get new equipment and stuff and and that was what stimulated that was part of what stimulated the industrial revolution was the availability of this money that was made available because these rich white people owned slaves and were benefiting from the fruits of the labor of all these these involuntary servants Yeah. but um... so the south was slower to have industrial development than the north was because they most of the northern states freed their slaves not long after the revolution
0: okay, okay. no i definitely uh sometimes I get too weird and metaphysical I guess but do you think um,
1: we live in a mysterious universe yeah
0: we do live in a very mysterious <laughs> universe and there's things outside of our vision um, and outside uh, even as much as you and I would like to think that we know and have a knowledge of there's still probably a vast majority of things on a spiritual level and on a energy level that we don't have a full understanding of that um Maybe, like you were saying before, the Industrial Revolution and more primitive times that man did have an understanding of and then would base his decisions on where to build, or mm-hmm. etc., um, based on those decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look back at the uh, Egyptians and the pyramids, um, they're built on such a... I mean, they're basically built right on the latitude lines, I think, latitude or longitude lines, and... Um, they're just built in such a way I mean they're built under Orion's belt mm. and I know that a lot of ancient civilizations navigated by the stars and stuff like that but mm-hmm.
1: well they had to until they discovered the magnetic compass right but um, there's lots of things about the pyramids and other things that are built in Egypt that show just how in tune they were with right. the world around them in a way and a level that uh, would be totally unfamiliar to us
0: yeah most of us anyway and then um you know, like I was saying, you know, um, and then you have Freemasons that were here, which Freemasons come from Europe, and mm. that's where a lot—that's where you see a lot of like churches built on ley lines and stuff yes. like that. Um, so I think some of that did come here specifically to this area. Um, do you feel that? Do you see that? I mean, what is Caroline Street has all the, all the churches are going down Caroline Street.
1: It was not uncommon for um, towns that were being built. To have most of the houses of worship on a street, okay. But why did they choose that street as opposed to some other? Maybe those kinds of influences were uh, having an impact on that decision. Right. I'm sure that some local historian who knows more about the developmental history of the area could That's true. could answer that question better than I could. But um, there are places that do seem special, right? Yeah. You know how many um, old European churches are built atop um, sacred sites to the pre-Christian people that lived there. You know, druids and and uh, and Roman pagans and things like that. Whenever they do a renovation on a church in Europe or Italy, uh, France, or even in the UK, they often find the remains of prehistoric temple sacred sites and. Uh, that figures into the whole ley line thing that you you brought up Scott is that uh, people had an instinct you know like the geese know which way is north right and which way is south so that they can fly the appropriate direction they have an instinct a feel for which way to go and I think that people because they have a spiritual depth to them have a spiritual instinct about which places are places that are separate they're different they're not mundane there's something sacred about this place. Right. And almost doesn't make any difference what what religion we're talking about. Whether it's the Druids or the Romans or uh, um, uh, the Zoroastrians. Yeah. Zoroastrians. I can write the word but pronouncing it is hard. Yeah. But um, one religion after the other. Islam comes in and it builds its mosques on the ruins of old churches and other sacred sites, wherever it it went during the period of its most rapid expansion. Um, So this instinct that humans have for special places where maybe something there's a special energy, that seems to be... There is evidence, I will say it that way. There's evidence that that is a real
0: thing. Um, Do you think that there could be... Let's go back to the... um, you know just the practical economic than building the town here right because of the um, the fall line right mm-hmm. what if there's um, a certain feng shui that man can induce so they would build towns in a certain way right that's why they have the square and the compass or what the fuck ever um, to try and induce a certain energy flow in the town the same way that in current-day China it's feng shui, right, is, yes. is what I'm thinking of. How they'll literally cut holes out of buildings. I don't know if you've ever seen that. They'll cut holes out of skyscrapers so that the energy can flow
1: I didn't better. know they were they were building skyscrapers uh, with holes in them uh, for that can purpose. Can you look that up,
0: Scott? But is I do muscle? know that,
1: no. that you know, that's, that's a real principle over there. That these telluric forces, these... These underground spiritual currents can affle- affect things like your physical health and, and how cheerful you are. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, whether or not uh, most families uh, fight. Right. You know, um, whether your cattle are going to grow big or be sick. What if like the
0: uh, family's fighting thing comes back to um, like a residual energy?
1: There are th- certainly things that can influence a family's uh, behavior if there is, for instance, a negative entity. Yeah. It's, that's more of an organized thing than just talking about the, the natural flow of whatever earth chi there is Right. That um, that is moving along ley lines and things.
0: Maybe that's what it was I was thinking of as chi.
1: Qi. Well, chi qi and, qi and... Feng and, Shui. Yeah, Feng Shui. Okay. I, I pulled it up. They're called uh,
0: dragon, dragon gates. Okay. And it's, uh, they say, particularly in Hong Kong, they have these things. Yeah. Um, that's, that's very cool. That's yeah, strange. that's strange. They have a couple in Manhattan as well. I've seen these things before. Okay, there's a couple buildings in Manhattan that have these things. Um, but yeah, so maybe it's um, a certain level. That's one thing about the pyramids that I was um, a video that I watched recently was talking about. Kind of talking about the Tesla code and things, but then it was talking about frequency and how they were thinking that the pyramids were built in this. Because it looks like it has four sides, but there actually is a little bit of an indent on each yes. side, right? Mm-hmm. So they're saying this octagonal shape on the inside, right, creates a certain frequency and a, a certain resonance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I just thought there's something interesting about that. There's, you know, these ancient civilizations had an understanding of that. And then, um, so I don't know, I just wonder if maybe there's some... Um, <coughs> Worst well, energy that, that they could have put into the town?
1: I don't know. You know, we've always assumed the, the popular scholarly interpretation of the pyramids is it's a place, it's a place to bury the pharaoh. Right, right. And um, I don't know if that's all that they were supposed to be. There have been lots of theories, and they say, that, well, this is a, it's a temple, and uh, the pharaoh may have been buried in it somewhere, but the parts that we know about uh, were used uh, on a routine basis by the living to like initiate people into the Osiren mysteries or the mysteries of Isis and, right and um, Hermes mm-hmm. but um, as far as you know the actual shape of the thing there was a book that was you could get in the 1970s and the 80s called Pyramid Power there was two volumes and um, I had both of them and it made what to me as a younger person seem to be very persuasive arguments that the actual pyramid shape itself has metaphysical properties yeah yeah they were doing things like well here's a razor blade now if I'm gonna raise I'm gonna shave my face every day with this razor blade and at night I'm gonna put it back in my little pyramid keeper and um, and the angles were supposedly the same angles as the pyramid of Khufu kiops' pyramid and uh, and as long as he kept his razor blade inside that little pyramid stand the place for it then uh, it didn't ever go dull huh. and they were doing experiments with like yogurt and things. Yeah, and, fruit and all this, stuff? Yeah thing. to see how long they would last and they would put you know in the interest of like at least making a stab at doing something scientific a scientific method they would put the same kind of samples in other boxes of different shapes like a sphere and a a cube and things like that. And then they would measure how long it takes for the the milk to turn into yogurt. And based on those experiments, as reported in this book, um, they did seem to support the notion that there is something special about that shape. I haven't done any experiments on that shape myself but uh, maybe some point in the future. I've got other experiments that I want to do. Yeah. Uh, but one of the interesting things about the pyramids and talking about how much more in touch ancient people were with their environment in the natural world, if you look at the physical dimensions of the interior spaces where the people would go, they are often designed with acoustics in yeah. mind. Um, There are some famous temples in Malta that go back to the Stone Age. They were old when they started building the pyramids. And those places are set up so that if a person stands in the corner over there and is chanting or singing, the resonances that get set up in that physical space, remember it's all stone, um, have a mind-altering effect on everybody else in the room. And uh, when you look at the dimensions, when they were building the pyramids, the king's chamber, where the sarcophagus is in the pyramid of Khufu, its dimensions, uh, length and width and height, and even from corner to corner, my own calculations on that, because I was interested, I wanted to see what were the notes that would resonate most strongly in that empty space, in a space of that shape, in those, those dimensions, and I generated them on a the computer and let them run for about 30 minutes. And I will say it gave me a buzz.
0: Yeah, because you play, you play a lot of music and stuff, too. you play piano. and mm-hmm. so You say it gave you a buzz, huh?
1: It was, um, you know that feeling that you get when the elevator just starts to go down? Yeah, yeah. Turn that feeling down, and that's the feeling that I had just sitting there. Right. The sense of... Not exactly falling, but a sense of motion.
0: I've I've um, I've grabbed certain crystals and rocks, and they've given me that feeling, hmm. like a light lightness feeling. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had? Have you ever encountered anything?
1: Not no. with uh, Not with crystals. When it comes to like paranormal abilities and psychic sensitivities, I'm a flat line for the most part. Sometimes, if I'm on a ghost hunt, I will get goosebumps. But anybody would. I'm not one of those people. I'm not the kind of investigator who thinks that they have gifts and can okay. say, "Oh, in that corner over there, there's a Civil War widow, and she's wringing her hands and and she's waiting for her husband to come home from the battle, and he never did, and she's still waiting for him to come home." There are people that that uh, or mediums uh, mm-hmm, that at least think they have the gift. I think that there is there are people who genuinely are gifted in that way, but I can't read their mind to know whether or not what they are telling me is something they're really seeing something they think they're seeing or just something they want me to think they're seeing right, right. I think that it works like this for every one person who has that authentic gift there's probably a hundred who think they do but don't and it's also on a continuum there's some people who are switched on all the time and then there are some people who have the gift but it only comes now and then Right. But they are authentically gifted, and for every one of those, there's a hundred who think they have a gift but really don't. For every one of those, there's a hundred who know they don't, but they want you and me to think they do. Now, how do I separate all those people from that one that has that authentic gift? Because it's
0: something that it's unseen and unproven, so it's uh,
1: it's difficult. Yeah, it takes it takes the game to a next level of complexity, and I like to keep things simple.
0: Yeah, I. I would appreciate that as someone going on a ghost tour that the, or or doing an investigation, that the person leading it was more practically minded, and not that you're practical minded. Uh, uh, you know, you still believe in supernatural metaphysical mm-hmm. things. Clearly, you have interest in the metaphysics mm-hmm. and such, um, but you're not like a, a showman no. in that way, or a, um, it's very. Cut and dry, like this is this is the facts of it. Here's the what I can show you of mm-hmm. it. Um, I would appreciate that. But I could see how other people would appreciate um a more interactive experience, I guess.
1: People well, if you're talking about something like a ghost tour.
0: Right. I've right. taken
1: people on ghost tours and uh I can't influence or control the ghosts to put on a show for these people. Yeah. So uh, what I've done is I've, on my own investigations, I've made recordings where I'm asking questions. And sometimes I get an answer. And on my ghost tours, I will play those answers back for my, my guests, the live people. And sometimes the ghosts will put on a show for the live people. They'll knock on things. You can hear them walking down a hallway. They're, no live person is in. Sometimes you can hear them talking, murmuring from the next room but um but my own personal approach when i'm doing investigations is for the science i want mm-hmm. to make a discovery and um and so the, the things that i bring with me are simple things you know things to measure magnetic fields things uh to record audio and a camera is also necessary although getting photographic or video evidence
0: is unusual um, that's something I wanted to talk about too when we were talking about the pyramids, the town, ley lines, um, kind of haunted places, is the mm-hmm. mag- magnetic fields mm-hmm. and um, geologic anomalies, right? Is that proper terminology? Sure. Um, one example I'll use is I watched an episode of like Ghost Adventures or whatever. I know this is, you're probably like, uh, for your craft, they're probably someone that you kind of scratch your head at or something. I think that, you hate th- I think
1: that the, what we see on those kinds of shows is what you have to put on those kinds of shows if right. you want to ha- have a show. Right, right. Nobody's going to watch a bunch of guys sitting in a room for six hours as quiet as they can. Right,
0: right, right.
1: Zach Bagans has to do something to get people to watch the show. Right.
0: Um, but one thing, um, one episode in particular, they went to Celio Drive, which is... Uh, that's where the Manson murders happened. Oh,
1: okay. Um, oh yeah.
0: So they were right down the street from where the Manson murders happened, and uh, this guy wanted to have them do, a you know, a tour or mm. whatever, an investigation. Mm-hmm. And his house was literally built on a hill, and then there was like a, it's it was like an Indian burial ground or an Indian kind of sacred site that was like down this hill or where they had built this Celio Drive basically, mm-hmm. and. Um, when they were trying to do, like, the magnetic readings, they, it was, you know, Off throwing the their shit through loops. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and well, you see that happen in other places. I mean, that's Bermuda Triangle. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be in other places like that. I've, heard
1: about, uh, I've heard about that, um, what was it, the, the Tate murders? It was yeah, Manhattan, yeah, Sharon Tate. Right? And, um, and heard, uh, I think I may have even seen the episode that you're talking about, and that got me thinking. And I looked at the U.S. Geological Survey, Database for that part of California, and that particular hill has got much higher magnetic field than it's supposed to. The unit that one of the units that we use to measure magnetic fields is the Gauss. And now, the Earth's natural magnetic field falls in a range, it fluctuates all the time, but it falls in a range sorry, it's all good falls in a range between 200 milligauss and about 700 milligauss. So anything much higher than 700 milligoss is weird. That's probably not a normal thing. And um, if you're on an investigation and you've got your magnetometer and you encounter a magnetic field that is much above 700 milligauss, then you have, to, you have to explain it because it's unusual for the Earth to produce a field that strong. But that whole mountain, that whole hill, that uh, that neighborhood is built on is an officially registered geomagnetic anomaly okay because the field there is so much higher now if people have an instinct like 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 if the the geese like the geese know which way is north right then for thousands of years people are going to consider that if they have an instinct for it they're going to consider that place to be special different somehow maybe in a good way maybe in an ominous way but it's not going to register like the rest of the landscape does on them and I think that's you know you're right. There's there's Native American, not just they didn't live there. That's where they buried people, and um, because they knew that it was special somehow, right? They didn't have magnetometers, but yeah, they, exactly. they still had an instinct. They still for it.
0: had an instinct mm-hmm. and understood that yeah. there was something there. I wonder if they you know buried their people there because they thought that. Because they felt whatever magnetic pulse or whatever there was coming from that, whatever resonance frequency comes from that, and maybe they thought that that helped guide their ancestors towards the afterlife or back towards the, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the creator. I think some of the idea with that is kind of like the, um, it's the Big Bang frequency, right? Mm. That's what the, that's kind of what that, Um, video on the pyramids that I watched was talking about where they were talking about how it was inducing a certain resonance and frequency inside of the pyramids and the idea, the concept was that they're trying to recreate the afterlife. Um, My own own hypothesis is similar to that.
1: I think that what they were trying to do when they were building these pyramids, the big ones, was to build a resurrection machine so that... If you died, they'd bury you in this thing, and over some period of time, you came back to life, either as a physical person or as like a more highly evolved, on a spiritual plane kind of a thing. And they wanted to make sure. And the pyramid, look at the interior of the Pyramid of Cheops. It doesn't look like a machine to us, but what I think they are building is a resurrection machine. And it's got parts. And I think those parts are supposed to work together in certain ways. Lots of other people have said something like that.
0: Um, So it's like a form of necromancy, basically, that they're...
1: Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say necromancy. Uh, It's not just about reviving the dead or summoning the spirits of the dead to send them off on errands for you. That's really what necromancy is like, and to to tell you the future and things. But um, I think that the king was so important, and... You know, in in Egypt, the king was the incarnation of God. Right. That he got special treatment, and um, I do know that when they opened those pyramids, they didn't
0: find any bodies inside. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so do you think that Fredericksburg could have any geologic anomalies? Um, do you? Th- or, sorry, before we get in that, do you think that the um because, you know, Manson and them, they were doing LSD all the time and stuff. They had been there to a party before. That's why they came back to the house. Do you think because of them being on LSD and being... When I take LSD, I feel like I'm more in tune with the universe and, and with energies and intentions and mm-hmm. things like that. So do you think that them being on the LSD and then being in that genomic or Geologic Anomaly, kind of drew them back there. Um, Obviously, he was fucking evil and trying to do screwed up shit. But I wonder if some of the magnetic forces there had anything to do with their draw to... um,
1: I can't say no. I can't say no. I don't know. Um, Trying to understand the mind of a madman like Charles Manson is... Impossible for a person who yeah. is a rational thinking person to do. Um, I don't know what role drugs had in like turning up the volume on their sensitivity, right. and so they were gravitating towards this because their instincts are pulling them towards right. that place, or whether they had
0: pre-selected Sharon. And that, and yeah, that's definitely practical. I don't know enough. Reason.
1: I don't know enough about that case. I just I studied Manson just as a as an anomaly per, as an anomalous person, and and the 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 sociology of the interactions between him and the people in his group. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: As just as an example of cults. Right. And what kind of things can go wrong. And he's not the only example, many examples. But um, I don't know, so bottom line, I don't know. And I I don't know enough about it to have an opinion about whether or not those conditions influenced what happened there. But I am reasonably certain that the weird geomagnetic condition of that area must have a role to play in how haunted it is.
0: Right. That, um, And with something being haunted like that, or being kind of a, for lack of a better term, a, a portal or a gateway for spirits to be more um, free... To free manifest. To, to manifest, mm-hmm. right. Um, and then be able to latch on to people.
1: I think that it's kind of like a
0: watering hole hypothesis. Right. Um... I wonder what other kind of strange shit happens around up there on Celio Drive that we don't hear about. Who knows? I'm sure that nobody's going to
1: talk about it if they want to keep their property values up. Right, you know, right. That was that's the same problem. with downtown first. Yeah. Right. Um, although people are so hip now with paranormal, the fact that these shows get so many people watching them, mm-hmm. you know, you might find the right buyer who's willing to pay more for a haunted house. If yeah, I was buying like an 18th century house or something, the first question I would ask is, "Is this place haunted?" And the realtor, I can just see the the blood drain from the the face of the realtor and the and the owner of the house. And I'd be like, No, no, I'm cool. I'm not going to buy the house unless it has a ghost in it.
0: Right.
1: You know, there's a people like me who would pay more That's true. for uh, who for at McCall. least at least who's not at least who are not going to run away from the deal because it's got a ghost in it.
0: Right.
1: It kind of depends on what the ghost does too.
0: Yeah. Um. As I've talked about, as we talked about, it's definitely me getting into weird speculations and it was just more or less they, the connections that Manson had and them wanting to make an example out of certain people and wrong place, wrong time. Mm-hmm. Maybe it isn't all geomagnetic weird shit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that rich humans built houses there because there's an energy there or mm-hmm. it's, a fucking, it's, a, it's a cliffside or whatever it yeah. looks down in the city. But I, I would like to know, I do wonder how much other uh, strange things happens out there, like you said, mm-hmm. property values and uh, people being weird. Do yeah. you think, all that being said, do you think that Fredericksburg has any weird geomagnetic pulses? Um, have you ever exper- I mean, you have a, what is it called to, to do those readings? Magnetometer. A magnetometer? Mm-hmm. Have you ever taken it to sacred sites I in take Fredericksburg? It, I take to, it
1: everywhere. It's built into your phone every uh, every every smartphone has got magnetometers on board okay and um, the reason they are there is so that even when your phone is in airplane mode uh, it always knows which way is north okay so you've got a magnetometer and you don't have to be connected to any network the phone knows which way is north so you could use the phone as a compass and there's a number of apps that you can download that are perfectly free that work at taking the data generated by your onboard magnetometers on your phone and turning them into numbers that you can see, or a graphic format. Okay. So if you've got a phone, you've got, you've got ghost hunting equipment. Okay. I shy away from most of the ghost hunting apps, but for something simple that's just telling me how strong the magnetic field is, it's perfectly fine. It's a scientific instrument. Okay. You can test it. You can take like a, um, um, a fridge magnet, start your magnetometer app, and bring the magnet in proximity to the phone, and you'll see the numbers, you'll see the needle move, so I take this on every investigation that I go and if anything weird happens that's the first thing I do is pop that thing out and start that app and uh, I have encountered some really high magnetic field readings that I could not trace to a human source like wiring in the walls or something right Um, because it's out in the middle of a field and it's transient it's there for a little while and then it's gone and in my experience as an investigator It doesn't happen every single time. But if I see a large spike in the magnetic field, that often comes right before the dead move something or make some kind of a noise. Right. And it's like they're building up energy, building up energy, and then they discharge it so that they can manifest. Right. And magnetism, uh, either it's a source of energy or they're producing it as they get ready to manifest. So... uh, yeah and as far as like is there anything weird as part of the natural magnetic field background of Fredericksburg I haven't encountered it it's only when the paranormal stuff is happening that I see those high fields and they'll be really high I was talking about how the earth's natural field is between 200 and like 700 milligauss. I will get like 23,000 milligauss, which is wow. that's huge yeah that's huge that's strong enough to like move metal objects um, if there's any around they'll be drawn to that field and um, and there's nothing in this room that is putting out a field that strong you could take a magnetometer and put it on the laptop or or any of this equipment here and you won't get a field that strong so if you're out in the middle of, of a cemetery or a battlefield and you come across uh... twenty three hundred milligoths uh... field it's not being generated by
0: technology right?
1: and it's super unusual for the earth to produce a field that strong even like during solar storms and stuff. So,
0: it seems to be something supernatural.
1: Yeah, there's uh, well you know we we talk about the paranormal and the supernatural and if you ask any two paranormal investigators what the paranormal means you'll probably get two different answers. I feel like the more scientific investigators in the paranormal field are in the position of Isaac Newton when he saw the apple fall from the tree, which is a real thing. He, he wrote it down and he said this is what happened. It didn't hit him in the head like it does in the cartoons but uh, he watched an apple fall and he asked himself why doesn't it ever fall sideways? Why doesn't it fall up sometimes? Why is it always falling straight to the ground and not at a tangent to the ground? And so he hypothesized and he did some calculations and he came up with the theory of gravity which he described as a force. And he got to the the point where he could calculate it and explain the orbit of the moon around the Earth and the Earth around the sun with numbers, crunch the numbers and tell you exactly where it's going to be next year at this time or in three months or three days and project backwards to where it was six months ago and what it would look like. But he still didn't know what gravity was. He was measuring it. He was measuring it sufficiently well to perform calculations that explained the motions of heavenly bodies and bullets as they go through the air and hit the ground, parabolic. He understood it well enough to put numbers on it and it works really well. You can fly to the moon based on Newtonian mechanics, the inverse square law and everything else. But he didn't know what it was. He called it a force and now we didn't know what it was until Einstein came along and said that when you have a, a when you have matter in a place, it it affects the curvature of the space-time continuum, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not really a force at all. It's an effect that matter has on uh, on space-time. Yeah. And uh, so now we know what it is, but and that's how I feel about paranormal. You could say that in Newton's time, gravity was a paranormal thing and he was studying the paranormal in his own way. Right. He, was trying, he, he observed a phenomenon, he was trying to explain it, and within the context of the science of the day, there was no way to account for the force of gravity that makes the Earth and the apple attract each other. And uh, so we're in that position now, very early stages of the field, with all kinds of discoveries to be made. And the role of things like ley lines and geomagnetic forces. You know, when I've, I've noticed that there's a one spot that I've done more investigations than any other. I did an investigation there basically once a month for like seven years. At least once a month. And I would see the level of paranormal activity wax and wane there. Some days it would be off the charts. You'd feel them touch you. You could hold out your hand and say, would you take my hand, and you'd feel fingers on your hand. You're alone in the room. You'll run your audio recorder and ask questions, and it's an empty room. But when you listen to the recording, it sounds like a live person is answering your questions. Then there are other days when it's a flat line, and you'd never know that the place was haunted. Um, And I've tried to correlate that with things like solar sunspot activity right. and the phase of the moon and the weather <laughs> and, the and how far along we are and how many days is it until the equinox and whether a storm is blowing through.
0: Do you ever look at the dates themselves?
1: Well, in terms of, I've, I've quantified it this way, I've looked at how many days go by and tried to see, well, right. on this day it was high and that day it was low, how many days was that, and then look for that repeating pattern. And what I found is that there is no repeating pattern, at least not at that location.
0: Um, by the dates, what I meant was, I'm I'm really into Tesla and Tesla kind of, I'm a little bit into like numerology and stuff, but Tesla got me into numbers in a weird way. It's probably just a form of OCD, but um, his three six nine Tesla code. Oh yeah. Um, so one thing that I always look for, like this microphone's nine nine zero, that's Tesla code, right? Um, okay. But I always will add up the numbers. So 9 plus 9 is 18. Then 8 plus 1 is 9. Right. Um, So a lot of times when I see a series of numbers, I break it down in that way Mm -hmm. until I get it to its lowest to see if it's a 3, 6 or a 9. I have not done that. So I wonder if there's um, something about that. You know what I mean? It's possible. I, I
1: was like counting days. You know, I'm like, I was looking for some kind of a cycle that uh, showed me that oh well every 36 days there's a lull in which nothing happens and then i was expecting what i was aiming for and hoping to find was you know a normal shaped curve a bell shaped curve where the activity on this day is low it peaks so many days later and then it declines again and then that whole system repeats so that i could predict what day would be, I'd get the most bang for my right, buck right, right. on an investigation. Because right. I want to show up on the day when the activity is, when it's easier for them to manifest. So, but I, those Seems are the kinds be of...
0: random. There's no real pattern to it.
1: Something is influencing it. It's clearly easier on some days than it is on others for them to make sounds we can hear and, and
0: detect. So you feel like there is a variable that's affecting it? I wonder if it's a person in the house or something like that.
1: That's, a, that's a, a reasonable hypothesis that should be testable under certain circumstances. But, um, yeah, I didn't find a pattern. It, I wouldn't say that it's random. There does seem to be some correlation. Now, the other approach is to simply ask the dead. Right, that's true. You know, instead of trying to read between, the and you do have to read between the lines, a lot, but
0: usually uh, when you're messing with mysteries of the universe, it speaks to you in riddles.
1: Yes, that's that's true. But uh, at the battlefield here in Fredericksburg on Lee Drive, I uh asked uh, point blank, Is the moon influence does the moon influence your ability? Does the moon phase have anything to do with how easy it is for you to make sounds that I can hear? And the answer was yes. But I've asked that question a hundred times, and I've maybe gotten five answers, and um. From the other side, and those answers do not necessarily reinforce each other. They don't corroborate each other necessarily. Right, right, right. Sometimes they will say, "No, it's it's too cold." I'm like, "Well, what does cold have to do with it?" So that was another thing I started investigating, looking at
0: temperature, and what the weather is like. But um, I wonder if uh, barometric pressure has anything to do with it. You know, when a thunderstorm comes through. Mm-hmm and it's raining all the time, that affects people's, that, that mm-hmm. affects our mood, that affects us, um, it affects a lot of things. So mm-hmm. I wonder if barometric pressure could have any... Uh, it could be a like set
1: of nested variables in which...
0: Right, yeah. Like
1: there's a person, and that person is the thing that juices the environment, that puts the energy into the environment so that a ghost can, you know, do that, just right. that, and uh, which is a big deal. But um, maybe that person is only... Broadcasting whatever energy it is when it's raining, or when right. when the air is electrified because of a passing thunderstorm. Right. So that might account for certain other things, you know, like right. some people's ability to um, be clairvoyant or to have precognition, to see things before they happen. Yeah. Those other those weather and other kind of variables may have an influence on that as well.
0: How much do you talk to Cheryl about stuff like this? Do you ever talk to Cheryl?
1: Sure. She, um... About, uh, um
0: Grove of Bright Blessings, um... She, she oh, you're lifestyle. talking about Cheryl? Yeah, Cheryl from the Grove. Cheryl and Norm. Um, howdy, show. Yes, howdy, Cheryl.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh...
0: She's really into metaphysics yes. and... and
1: I, buy my, I buy my incense briquettes and my frankincense, um from from her shop
0: i go there for my candles
1: Mm -hmm. yeah she's got a million crystals
0: yeah she does if Um. you're into crystals check it out
1: but um i had a few conversations she took my tour and uh she and her husband actually participated in an investigation with me oh really at uh, an 18th century manor house and um Norm is the one who is more interested in the scientific approach and Cheryl is more the empathic and clairvoyant type
0: yeah um, I can see that too. yeah
1: but uh, I haven't spoken to them about this and I don't know I mean not much in a couple of years we, we sort of like talked about it I figured out where they're coming from they figured out where I'm coming from and uh, um, that was sort of the end of the conversation. Gotcha. Not that there's any bad vibes. I love those guys. They're great people. Yeah,
0: I love them too. They're the mm-hmm. best. I think they're, the reason I asked is because I, I know that they're into kind of like um, the esoteric, the metaphysical, the occult, mm-hmm. whatever for, for lack of better terms, uh, mm-hmm. Wiccan practices. Um, but I think there needs to be a certain level of a mesh between spirit and science. Um, and I, like I said, you're clearly from a more scientific Outlook. Um,
1: it's just because I'm totally ungifted with paranormal abilities myself. If I, if I was gifted, I might be approaching it in a different way. Right. But I think that anything, any anything that is real has to be made from something.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: If it's a ghost, then there's it's got to be made from something. It may not be made from ordinary matter. It may be made from things like electric fields, um, highly cohesive electric fields, or something like ball lightning. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an example of something that is made only out of electric fields, and it's very real. Science is uh, settled on whether or not ball lightning is real. But all it is is electricity in a highly cohesive field. We don't understand it well enough to reproduce it consistently, and, um, or study it in a laboratory. But there's enough evidence that that uh, science is satisfied that it's a real thing. Now, take something, but it it wasn't always that way, right? You know, the science uh, scientists sort of poo pooed the idea. Oh, you didn't really see ball lightning; it was something else. You know, you had too much to drink that night or something. But um, over the over the passage of time and people reporting things, a few photographs. Some video evidence. Um, science changed its mind. So I think if something is real, it must be made from something. And uh, with the instruments that we have today and are probably going to develop, we'll be able to, to tell exactly when a ghost walks into the room, even if I don't have any paranormal abilities or right. gifts, you know. So that's why I like science, because the scientific approach to this, because it produces data. Yeah. And I can share the data. I go into the place with a recorder and it makes a recording. It's a real sound. Whatever it is yeah. that is recording is a real sound. And I can yeah. play that sound for other people and get their input on what it is. Whether it's the boards creaking or the wind blowing or my stomach growling, which happens a lot. <laughs> uh, or whether or not it is a real disembodied person. You know. So yeah, uh, that's why
0: I'm like into so. the science side. That place that um, you were saying you've done for seven years, that's mm-hmm. the... You said what What Century Manor is that?
1: It was built in 1750. The earliest part of the house was built in 1750. That's the
0: same place you've been going for seven years that you took Cheryl and Norm to? Yeah. And that's the flea market. It's the big house next to the, the flea big, market. I mean. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. big house. What's so... Why There so often? What's so special about it? Or is it just um, accessible?
1: Well... <clears throat> you yourself mentioned, we've been talking about how, like the anomalous magnetic fields at that place where the, the Manson family did its deeds, right. uh, whether or not that influenced their behavior and whether or not it influences the fact that it's as haunted as it is. There, is. There's been a lot of chatter among paranormal investigators about the physical environment. Like, there will be one house that two houses. Okay, there's two houses. One on this side of the road has got a reputation for being haunted. Full-bodied apparitions, things move, they fly through the air, people hear voices, all of it. Everything that a haunted house is supposed to be on. On the other side of the road there'll be another house that is just as old and should have a ghost in it. But nobody hears a thing there. And they speculate, people like me speculate that it's the difference between those two locations has to do with like the minerals and the ground, uh, the way it faces. You were talking about feng shui, that which direction the, the building is
0: right, facing, so it faces you know? west, faces east.
1: whether it's on a hill, whether the wind blows across it or around it. Um, now at this location, by the flea market, um, what you have is a house on a hill facing basically east-west. The original yeah. name, the first name that the plantation house was called, was Western View, because the front of the house originally faced to the west, and you'd see the sunset, and it was magnificent. Remember, there was no trees there; it was all yeah, fields. Yeah. And um, it's also got water. There's two different creeks that run by it in two different directions. One runs to the to the north and joins uh, Massaponics Creek and the other one runs from east to west and joins that creek. So it's sitting on a little peninsula between these two two moving water sources. Mm-hmm. And there are people that, and I'm not, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, I'm open-minded about whether or not this is a factor, but there are people that say that that proximity to moving water is a thing that adds energy. Mm-hmm. So across the street in the old house, where nobody ever hears anything, it's got just as many ghosts. But they don't have access to the energy that is available to the people haunting this house because of the physical location and the things around it. That's what I was talking about, the waterhole hypothesis. I think that the earth is basically covered with ghosts. And the reason we don't hear them all the time is because the places where the energy is available for them to manifest are few and far between, right. like oases in a desert. Right. So some of these houses, these 18th century or whatever house, you know, the, the hospitals and things that have the reputation for being haunted, they just happen to be built on the
0: spot that's special. <coughs> so um, I guess the idea with the water is that it's a conductor. It's a conductor of energy. Um,
1: There's all I've, kinds of things like that.
0: I've know? seen some weird things about water and, and spirituality of water. Um, what do you think about people? Um, water having to do with the geometric or the, the uh, geomagnetic? He's been saying geometric the whole time. God, I'm an idiot. Nah. Um, the geomagnetic pool and stuff like that. Um, speaking of water, once again, didn't the Powhatan, the local Native Americans, believe that the Rappahannock River was cursed? I don't know um, about
1: that. Um, I know that that was the Rappahannock was in Powhatan's territory. After the war, he fought right before the uh, Europeans came here. He had just concluded a war with some neighbors, and I think that part of the settlement included this, uh, between the warring nations, included this area uh, as under Powhatan's uh, rule. But uh, a Rappahannock means swiftly rising waters because of its tendency to flood very quickly. So um, um, as to whether or not there was some dark metaphysical mystical association there I'm not I don't know
0: maybe it was just cursed in the sense that it, it floods rapidly um and, and you the, don't want to build your hut too close to the water you know, right to the bank and you also don't want to swim in there either because of the um the undercurrents the mm-hmm. way the undercurrents are in there and stuff too. it's a
1: very dangerous river for as slow as that water moves um so that's the
0: reason why they viewed it as cursed is because people swim in there and, and die because they get mm-hmm. swept under in those weird spots mm-hmm. um and to them, it was an anomaly because they didn't understand how undercurrents work and things right. of that nature.
1: Yeah, it could be water spirits pulling people down.
0: Right, right, exactly. Yeah, sure, right. Um, know, maybe it was. There was a site I used to look at in. It's called N5D, In Five D I N, then the number five D. It's Like in five dimension, um, but they it's like a spiritual metaphysical site. But they would have stuff about water um, and about able to transmit energy or frequency and different things like that through uh, through water. I need to go back and look at some of the mm. weirder stuff like that, but um, it's a conductor. Sure. So if it can conduct energy that we can see, right, then there's no reason it can't <coughs> conduct energy that we can't see. Right, some form of energy that we haven't discovered yet. Right. Maybe it's also an as-above-so-below thing, so if there is literal a, another literal plane stacked on top of this one that mm. the ghosts are existing that we can't see, that well, wouldn't there also be a, a river flowing through this plane, too? Would that make it more like a, like a boat for the uh, apparitions to
1: guide through? What if, what if it's like this? We live in a physical world, and we have a physical river made of water. What if the other side, this other dimension is a sort of a mirror and there is a river there that overlies our river but it's not made from water it's made from something else right and the reason moving water triggers paranormal activity is because of turbulence between the two flows
0: huh yeah yeah so you've got
1: let's call it chi a river of chi and a river of water and maybe they're moving in the same direction at the same speed, there wouldn't be any turbulence. But if one of them is moving faster than the right. other one, then there's going to be turbulence.
0: Or As if it's a mirror, it could be mirrored in a total, the total sense to where one river is moving this way and one river is moving this way. Right. So they're literally going against each other's grain. And then, there
1: would, then there would have to be turbulence all the time. Right. There never would be an instance where there wouldn't be turbulence between the two flows moving in different directions. And maybe that turbulence is the source of the energy that the dead and other non-corporeal things can um, utilize to manifest. Right. I could believe that. I could uh, see that as a as a reasonable hypothesis. Now, just figuring out how to detect that invisible river is a thing that I that would be the next step. Right. Right. You know? Right. Because otherwise, I'm just you know going off uh, on a tangent. But it's it certainly is interesting. There's so much more. You know, our visual acuity, the range of things that we can see from red to violet, a little bit into the ultraviolet, a little bit into the infrared, is just that much of the electromagnetic spectrum that is literally infinite. So with our own eyes, we have a very short-sighted view of the universe. If you can see what the night sky looks like with x-ray eyes to see the the x-rays coming in from space. It would look like a completely different map of the sky. There'd be places that are patches of the sky that would be bright that are the darkest patches that you can see now with your normal eyes. Um, So I think that so much of the universe is hidden from us because of our flesh, because of the way we've evolved or have been designed. Which is optimal for our environment to get us through life. But so much of the universe is hidden from us.
0: It's also hidden from us. So much of it is hidden from us, too, because it would be overwhelming Mm -hmm. to have a knowledge of. Uh, well. um, and that even if you were given information, you still wouldn't have an understanding. So it would just leave you in a state of confusion, right? Um, or schizophrenia. It's like trying
1: to teach calculus to a chimpanzee or something.
0: Right. Bounded exactly.
1: rationality is the limits that we have on our IQ. Nobody has an infinite IQ. Right. But to really understand the universe, you probably would have to.
0: Yeah, because the universe is infinite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're true. Uh, Likewise. Um, compliment accepted. Yeah, right. <laughs> so is there any other hot spots you're saying that places um, that you go there a lot because of the, the water and that a lot of paranormal investigators go there, that, that manner?
1: That, uh, that building has fairly consistent activity. Okay. Um, the battlefield, I got into the paranormal to try and debunk it. Right. I was watching the same ghost-oriented shows as everybody else mm-hmm. like 10 years ago and I, I can almost tell you exactly which episode it was that pulled the trigger on me. It was uh, Ghost Hunters. They went to some hotel I think in New Hampshire and uh, there was a, a, a dead lady whose nickname was Princess. So they walk into this room and they say, Princess, are you here? Can you hear us? And a woman's voice out of nowhere says, I can hear you. Can you hear me? just as plain as day. And uh, I was like, it cannot be that easy. It cannot be that easy. If it was that easy, everybody would do it. And nobody would have any doubts about the paranormal, about ghosts, about the afterlife. We would all know. So I said, where around here am I going to run into a ghost? If I wanted to, to test this hypothesis, what's the highest probability?
0: No, the battlefield. Uh, right.
1: So I go down to the battlefield, the Fredericksburg Battlefield, near the end of Lee Drive, where that pyramid is. The Mead Pyramid. Yeah. I'm walking through the woods with my digital audio recorder, asking questions like, what's your rank? When did you die? How do you feel about war? Which side did you fight for? Feeling like an absolute idiot and praying nobody saw me. See this madman walking in the woods, talking to the trees, asking the trees, what's their rank? (laughs) And I said, I'm gonna get home and I'm gonna listen to this recording and there's not gonna be anything on it except birds chirping and wind blowing and the sound of traffic on them you know, dogs barking, that kind of stuff. I got home and I hear myself ask the question, what's your rank? Lieutenant, when did you die? December, 1862. It was a life, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it, remembering it, and I was like, oh my God, this is real. This is all real. It's all real. Right. And, uh, oh God, I'm getting goosebumps. Is there a ghost in here? (laughs) But uh, after that, I refined my technique, but uh, the battlefield is a good place to go looking. Just be respectful. Whenever I go on investigations, I consider these people have been, some of these people have been dead for hundreds of years. Right. You're not just talking about an accident victim who died yesterday, yeah. well, you can encounter them as well. Some of these people have been dead for hundreds of years. They were dead before George Washington was born. So in every possible way, I consider them my, my elders and worthy of my respect and so that's how I interact with them yeah. I don't do like Mr. Bagans does and it's like dare them to manifest, provoke them right. confront them right. that's just rude and even if it works somebody's, you know a tourist is going to go through there tomorrow and have to deal with an angry ghost so, you know everybody appreciates nice manners
0: um, you were talking about how you think that Talk about all the variables that go into making a place haunted, mm-hmm. water and stuff like that. You're saying that um, soil, certain minerals. You think, people houses? say quartz. I don't
1: have an opinion quartz. on whether or not quartz is important. Yeah. But uh, the general consensus when I've asked other people is that, oh, well, you should have seen the amount of quartz that this place was off the charts haunted. There was just quartz laying all over the ground. The Stafford, I don't know if it's still in the same location, but um, the SPCA building in Stafford County. I've not investigated there but I've got a lot of uh, colleagues who have and some of them have left the building. Really? Because they couldn't take it. Because it's violently haunted? Scratches, bruises. Oh wow. All of it. Um, and that was what they said about the place. It's like there's quartz laying all over the ground. Huh. So maybe. So the pyramids were topped with quartz? Um. White limestone. They're built white out of limestone. sand, yeah, they're built out of the, the core of the pyramids, most of them. The pyramid of Menkaure, is the only one that still has some of that white limestone um, casing on the top.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, all the pyramids used to be blinding white because they were encased in this uh, light, white limestone. But over the, the centuries that stuff got dismantled to be used in the building of mosques and churches and other buildings. Um, Cairo is full of all the white buildings that you see are probably made from pyramid stone, but um, but yes, there's quartz in all of it. Sand is just quartz, and the core of those buildings is made from sandstone. Or tour limestone? Tour limestone? No, not tour limestone. That's Italy. Never mind. But um,
0: quartz is supposed to be like uh, like a magnifier, like uh, help induce like energy help. I'll boost it
1: that's very well established that's why your your, your watch has got a quartz element in it okay. because when you run an electric current through quartz it vibrates okay. and it vibrates in a predictable way and predictable enough that you can make a really accurate timepiece by counting how many vibrations it does and that's the that's the fundamental basis of a quartz movement in a clock and it's piezoelectric which means that not only will it vibrate when you run a current across it but if you squeeze it if you compress it, it generates electricity. Okay. It generates actual measurable electricity. You can put a meter on it <coughs> and uh, and measure the electricity coming off of it. And so it's
0: got to definitely have an effect on the paranormal, or...
1: If quartz has an effect on the paranormal, I would not be surprised at all, because it has other demonstrable effects that we can measure without even talking about the paranormal. Right.
0: So exactly.
1: much of our science depends on it. Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. I did not know that um, so much of our science depended on quartz like you in the way that you explained it, so that's, mm-hmm. that's interesting.
1: Some of the first radios, um, crystal crystal radios, um, they operated on a quartz crystal. It took the radio waves, um, converted them to electricity and then you'd have to listen to a, an earphone. There was no batteries. They weren't battery powered or amplified in any way. They produced very tiny currents, but um, and gradually that technology got replaced. But even even the technology that immediately replaced it still used crystals of some kind, germanium, I think. Okay. But um, yeah, crystals. Crystals are a big deal, even outside of the paranormal. Um,
0: and metaphysical and stuff.
1: Yeah, you know. Um,
0: so why would so? With that being said, why, if they're such a part of the practical, why wouldn't they be...
1: Well, that's the, you're asking the fundamental question. Here's this thing right here, and it has a physical presence, and I know what its physical properties are. We we're talking about a quartz crystal. It has physical properties, and we can measure them, and we can experiment with them. We don't know to what degree that object has metaphysical properties. Or properties that you and I would call paranormal because we don't understand it the way Newton didn't understand the force of gravity, right. what gravity was. Um, so maybe this microphone has got some paranormal properties. Maybe the metal in it or the plastic in it. I mean, think about it. Plastic is made from oil, right? What was oil? Before it was oil, it was life. It's the decomposed and composted remains of countless millions of marine organisms, right? Right, right, right. And... Uh, so it's a, that's why it's called a fossil fuel. Right. And when you polymerize it and turn it into something, you get plastic. So this thing is descended from life, at least the insulation, this rubber or, or plastic insulation on this wire here is descended millions of years ago. This was alive. The stuff this is made from was alive. So if there is a paranormal aspect to life, maybe there's a paranormal aspect to everything that is made from plastic. Maybe, you know, burning fossil fuels in your car has a paranormal consequence. Maybe not.
0: Yeah, maybe it's all speculation. It's all this sp- this whole podcast has been pseudoscience. This is me talking off the top and of my head. Tomorrow course. they're going to put us in a loony bin. It's probably coming. Yeah. They have rooms at Snowden for us. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so long as I have access to my tools. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, um, so what are you... What is the... Uh, couple more topics before we end this up Um, what do you think is the most haunted place in Fredericksburg? what's uh, that at least that what's the most haunted that you've been to and what do you think is the most haunted well
1: um, because I spent so much time at the manor by the flea market in my opinion it's in a class by itself Um, but the battlefield is all the battlefields around here are pretty haunted and as far as downtown on Caroline Street, there are some antique stores.
0: Yeah, I love the antique stores.
1: <clears throat> and um, I've gotten some amazing results, not even on a formal investigation. You know, I'll be upstairs in an antique store and I'll hear footsteps. And so I'll whip out my audio recorder and start my magnetometer app and uh, do an impromptu investigation and get amazing results. When things have been standing in one place for a long time, that also seems to have an effect. And um, Fredericksburg saw so much bloodshed during the war between the states. There were bodies piled up in the streets, you know, and some of those buildings were used as hospitals and morgues. Um, there's lots of opportunities. When you think about what some people say it takes to make a ghost, you know, you don't just die peacefully in your sleep and become a ghost. You have to die some dramatic, right. scary, terrifying way or in a rage or something like that then you become a ghost I don't know if that's true or not
0: but um, like you have to have a certain amount of adrenaline pumping to become a ghost
1: mm-hmm. especially so the same goes with residual hauntings where the, the haunting is not an actual intelligent thing that you can talk to it just goes through a of cycle but um, usually the last thing that happened to it when it was alive right, right. but um uh, anywhere downtown is probably very haunted. I've, it's hard for me to answer that question in a, in, a, in a sensible way because wherever I've gone looking for ghosts with a digital audio recorder which is my number one favorite tool because that gives you information because they'll answer questions sometimes um, I have not come away without something I will say that there are a few places that don't I don't see too much activity when I've gone investigating there is a house to the end of Caroline Street on the other side of the railroad tracks. I don't have permission to talk about uh, the address or who lives there, but I did an investigation there because the place has a reputation for being haunted. People have seen full-bodied uh, full, uh, apparitions there. And uh, I came back with a few murmurs on my recording, and I was there for like six hours, but I didn't hear a single word that was intelligible, and that's unusual. Food for thought
0: there. So do you think the, um, I mean, do you think the investigator has a variable in it, too? Like it's, you said, more people some people are more inclined to paranormal uh, activity?
1: I think that's definitely true. There was one incident at the manor where we had a guest. And when it was our turn, at the end of our tour, we give the guests a 15-minute opportunity to ask their own questions of the ghosts while we were recording. And then we immediately retired and listened to the recordings. And uh, every single one of her questions got answered. Hmm. And when we were listening to it, it became obvious that every single one of her questions got answered. So I started the recorder again, and we started asking more questions. And every single one of her other questions got answered and that, and that, uh, in, in what was supposed to be the epilogue of the evening. And uh, we even got to the point where we were asking for lottery numbers. <laughs> Do you know what happened? What? We got lottery numbers. Huh. From the other side. We got a string of numbers. I played them for like two weeks and didn't win a thing. So maybe they were lottery numbers from 1930 or something. Right. right. <laughs> or maybe they were uh, mirrored in some way. Could be. Or maybe they were just like, ha ha, let's play with them.
0: Um, That's what I was going to say about the antique shops getting readings there. It probably doesn't just have to do with Fredericksburg and downtown and but all the old objects there is just and like you said they've been a lot of them not just the buildings that's been sitting there forever but the objects have been sitting in these buildings for extended periods of time. Well, You see a lot of old mirrors, uh, a lot of old Victorian mirrors and stuff like that in antique shops too so I wonder if that, I mean...
1: There is a lot of evidence that seems to strongly suggest that ghosts have a problem with mirrors. Mm -hmm. It's kinda like flypaper. And um, on my own investigations, I've heard them complain about being stuck in the mirror. Huh. And um, one of the last times I did an investigation at the manor, we got some very interesting photographic evidence from just taking pictures of mirrors. Right. Really? Faces staring back at you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, where there was nobody to cast a reflection. Right. <clears throat> and. Uh, so yeah but the thing that we're talking about though when you talk about how the antique shops are full of these old objects some people believe that a spirit can become attached to an object Mm -hmm. and I can understand how that could happen you know it was a wedding gift that you received you know and that was your favorite thing that that dresser was your favorite thing and then you died and all your stuff was sent away where are you gonna go either you're gonna haunt a place that you loved or you're going to gravitate towards your favorite thing. And if the dresser was your favorite thing, then you'll follow that dresser around all over the country if you're able to, because of the associations and the warm feelings it gives you when you look at that dresser and you remember the day you got it and all the, the history and you know, you used to put your baby's things in the bottom drawer. <coughs> Those kinds of things mean things to people. And a lot of your personality survives the transition from this world to the next. So if you're nice, if you're sentimental in this world, you will be in the next. If you're a jerk in this world, you will be in the next. I've encountered those as well. Um, So yeah, the fact that antique shops are full of these things, maybe one out of a hundred has some kind of a thing attached to it, a person attached to it, but it happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um... I love antique shops too, by the way. I love those. All- the vibe of the place. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like being in a museum. Mm-hmm. Where you oh, get to you buy the exhibits.
1: Yeah, you get to buy the yeah, exhibits. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's you exactly to- how I feel about it. I
0: love them. Um, I actually wrote an article about the antique stores mm-hmm. downtown Fredericksburg. I encourage everybody to go to the antique stores and, uh, that's one of my favorite. And then it's like all the times that I've been to him, I still haven't seen everything. There's just, it's almost impossible to digest every little <clears> back and <throat> thing that there is in there.
1: And it's not static. It's The inventory is changing constantly. Right, yeah, People yeah. buy stuff and, and uh, the, the vendor buys more stuff and they they put it for sale. Yep. new things every other month. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. New of. old things.
0: Yeah, new old things. Yeah. Old new, new things. New to us. <laughs> It's really cool. Yeah. So um, I've told you that I moved out of the lodge. Um, I moved into a new place. I actually lived there before back in like um, 2010, 2011. I lived there once before. My fathers actually lived there. Um, uh, and now I'm living there again. Mm-hmm. So before when I lived there back in 2010, uh, this is in my younger days. when having parties a lot, having a lot of people over. And the girls, specifically, the females, would always talk about and tell me about the ghost in the house. That there was a ghost. And have you seen the ghost? Have you seen the woman um, in the house? It's a female. It's a female, yeah. Um, I think my father said he's seen her before, too. The, The woman that lives there now with us lives downstairs. She's seen her. A gentleman came over last week and had never been there before and was like, Y'all got a spirit in this house, um, so it seems very glaringly apparent that there is a ghost in my house. I haven't seen it. Um, Have you heard anything? I haven't experienced anything <clears throat> myself. Okay. Um, maybe I'm under some sort of protection. You know, uh, maybe not. Um, my my roommate from the motel, who's living in the room across from me now, Brian. You know Brian. Hmm. Um, He said the other night we have like the way our doors are. It has like an old lock on top of it or like an old doorknob on top of it, but there's still like 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 a bar sticking through or something, like poking through a rod, a rod still poking Mm -hmm. through. Um, The other night he said that he could literally like see it move, like 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 someone pushed it. So are we talking about like a slide latch? Yes, left to right. No, it goes it comes in and out. Okay. So it's like something had pushed it out of his door mm. or like pulled it back in. And um I didn't do that to him. So he's seen something recently too. Actually Brian actually projected the other day too. Yeah. It's kind of jealous.
1: I would love to talk to him about what his
0: experience was. Cuz he's not He's not he's a lot more conservative and practical when it comes to these matters than I am. You know, I'm as you can see, I'm very liberal, mm-hmm. impractical, speculative, open-minded. Um, open-minded. You have to be open-minded, um, and I think and, you are. And Brian's a little bit more just conservative when it comes to looking at these things. So it's strange that the universe, for lack of a better term, you know, wants to. I mean, there's other terms. I'm just going to call it the universe. But that it wants to. Uh,
1: Make his presence now? Right, to, to him. him.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I found that interesting. But that, that's, that's off topic. And that could have something to do with the house, if the house has a certain energy or something. Maybe that could have an effect on his dreams and help him actually project or connect to a celestial state or whatever. But, um, yeah, I, think I, I need you to come over and do some sort of investigation or something, man.
1: I could certainly, I'd be more than happy to.
0: Um, it's an older house. It's out towards Spotsy Courthouse. I'm near, um, I'm near Courthouse Road Elementary actually. Okay. And uh, <coughs> as I said it's an older house. Um, it's been there since before the 60s. Um, but yeah, apparently there was a woman in the nightgown that, but everyone that's seen her has. She, they've never reported any like malicious intent or that there was like any malevolence right' That's just right. A,
1: just a dead lady going about her business
0: right mm-hmm. um, that there was never like <clears throat> that seeing her didn't invoke fear naturally in itself and that she herself wasn't trying to instill fear any, in anyone mm-hmm. um, And then another thing too is she's mostly seen in specifically this one room which is kind of like a, it's like an in-between room. There's like a bathroom coming off of it. It connects to the living room, and it connects to the kitchen. And so it's kind of like a, just a... Almost a passageway. Yeah, almost a passageway. It's got, that's another thing. It's got four passageways. It's got the bathroom, one from the ki- two from the kitchen, right? One from this side, one from this side. Bathroom here. And then the passageway going into the, uh... Going into the uh, living room.
1: Well, so <coughs> what it sounds about doors and um, it sounds to me like what you're describing is that people are seeing this this apparition in the place where people walk anyway, which you would expect. <coughs> you might see one in a room somewhere, but <coughs> if you can't get from one side of the house to the other without going through this place, then if there is a ghost that is that died in the house and the floor plan hasn't changed, then she's going to keep going the way she did right and she's, you know she's in her mind she's cleaning the, the bathroom mirror now she's finished it's time to wash the dishes so she goes out the bathroom and goes towards the kitchen and that seems to be like where people are seeing her is in the place that she would cross multiple times in life and she's still doing it and that's that's a common thing for uh, for the dead to do okay. to go about their life to, to because <clears throat> In my and, own house. And they're
0: manifesting house. in the place that they're <clears throat> going through the most, right? She's intersecting mm-hmm. to this one well, point the mm-hmm. most in all her walks. So yes. maybe that's... She
1: just happens to be there more often than she is any other place. Right, right. Because that's the one place she has to cross. Right. And that's the one place where you all have to cross who live in the house today. So you're going to intersect sometimes. But <clears throat> my house is haunted. And it's haunted enough... I'm not scared of ghosts, I got over that a long time ago. I can. I still have a startled response. If they grab me, I'm going to jump, which does happen, but um, I'm used to the ghosts, I'm used to dead, people being around, but at 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm trying to sleep, I don't need to hear people walking up and down my hallway. So that's a problem at my house, and so I keep the fan on to turn the volume down on what's coming from the hallway sometimes. <clears throat> but I did ask, Why are you walking up and down? Why are you walking all over the house at night? And the answer was, I'm remembering. Now think about that. All the things that are ever going to happen to those people, in terms of life events, are behind them. They're not going to have any more babies. They're not going to get married. They've already died. All the things that can happen to a person already have happened to these people. So what do they have? They have their memories, to the extent that they're able. And so, you know, this, this lady in your house, she's going, she's not just doing chores. She's going to the place where they had that great birthday that year. And she's going into the room where, you know, she saw her daughter get proposed to by her boyfriend. Right. And those memories, and this was, this was my daughter's bedroom, and, and she's standing there and she's thinking about her daughter as a baby, and when she was playing and learning to read, all those special things she's remembering. And uh, I think that is what's motivating a lot of the hauntings that we do encounter. It's not just people who died horribly. Anybody can become a ghost. Right. But, um, and so they are just, sometimes they're going about their daily routine just still doing it. And sometimes they're reminiscing. Why is the ghost Mm -hmm. up at 3 o'clock in the morning? She's not washing dishes.
0: It, it, <clears throat> that seems to be a, a spike in paranormal too. Is 3 o'clock in the morning. The witching hour. Um, I actually read an article not too long ago. The scientific explanation for it was that our melanin, right? Is it melanin or melatonin? Melanin is what... Melanin is what gives your skin pigment. Okay, so the melatonin <clears throat> levels, um, that's when your brain is like uh, boosting them or something or, or mm. redoing them. So maybe that's what causes some of the dreaminess that you experience at 3 o'clock in the morning if you're awake. It's because your, your body thinks it's supposed to be asleep right yeah. now. So it's causing a sort of delirium.
1: I'm sure that there is a, a component there that, is, that would
0: be explained by that. Yeah.
1: Um. <clears throat> I think also, you know, people like to do ghost hun- hunts and ghost uh, paranormal investigations at night. And it's not because the activity is necessarily higher. I mean, that may be what they think. I think that some of it is our perception as well. Throughout the day, the neighborhood is full of noises. People are coming home from work. The next door neighbor is cooking. The lady across the street is yelling at her kids. And any noises that the dead are making fall below the threshold of our noticing. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, hopefully, the lady is not yelling at her... Kid and the, the couple next door is not having a fight and and uh, and it's quiet. And so, if the dead do make a sound,
0: there's a higher probability that you I'm will notice it. Yep, you will notice it. Um, one of my theories with the kind of the paranormal and nighttime is is that, all right. William Blake said, "When the doors of perception are cleansed, things will appear to man as they truly are, infinite." And when it's night, typically, especially when you're in all darkness, it looks infinite. Even though everything is still there, you know, mm-hmm. if this room became pinch black right now,
1: you wouldn't be able to see where the walls were.
0: Right. Exactly. For all you
1: know, that part of your subconscious is in an infinite
0: space. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, in itself, lifts a certain veil for your consciousness. Like you said, and makes Mm -hmm. it more easily. uh, It's like pulling back a curtain. It's like you're you're more tuned in. Yeah. You're
1: more tuned in. And it's, you know, maybe it's brain chemistry and maybe it's the environment that's just completely independent of brain chemistry. And maybe it really is a case of paranormal activity peaking at three o'clock, between three and four in the morning. I'll tell you, over at the manor. One of the tricks that we did, I say trick, but one of the techniques we used was to leave a recorder running overnight. The proprietor of the antique store, she would close up at like five o'clock in the afternoon, would start the recorder. You can hear her closing the door and locking it. There's no live person in that building. And the next time a live person came into the building was when she opened it back up the next morning. You hear the keys come in, you hear the door open, and I would listen to this. it was to produce a 12-hour recording. Yeah. And I had to listen to this. <coughs> so I'm listening to hours and hours of sometimes a noise. But then, after midnight, that bell curve that I was talking about, where it like gets increases in amplitude, uh, the amount of activity, until it tapers off, it peaks between three and four in the morning. So there is something else going on besides just different perception and brain chemistry, because that is just a recorder. Yeah. There's no person. There's no live yeah. person in the building. I'm not there. Just the recorder is running. But you hear them talking. You hear them talking to each other. You hear them moving furniture around. And it peaks between 3 and 4 in the morning. So, yeah, there's something else going on. Um, But I've also been in that building between 3 and 4 in the morning and heard nothing. Right.
0: It's like a veil lifts or something. Really.
1: Yeah. That's, some, that's or the like. energy becomes more available.
0: Right, right, right. Because so. of... Um, I think another thing that I saw, too, had to do with, like, people praying, right? So the idea was that between 3 or 4 in the morning is witching hour because everybody's gone to bed. It's it's between the times when people have gone to sleep and people are waking up. So there's nobody actively, less people are actively praying during those hours. And because of that, evil spirits. Right? <coughs> so, uh, I see entry.
1: That's interesting. Um, I I think I have a lot of friends who would probably agree with that.
0: Um, something about the going back to the ghost at the house. So I was wondering, you kind of, without going there yet, diagnosed it as, okay, it seems like she comes, she is of the house. That's her territory and mm. she's just kind of going through her old motions and whatever it's just and, a feeling it's a, st- it's,
1: a, it's, a, it's, it's a possibility that I think is, is highly um, probable
0: but, but my theory has been that seeing her in that room because of something in that room okay. um, and there's like an old piano in that room there's an old grandfather clock and then there is like three or four dream catchers um and I think dream catchers are very special in that they have an association with the afterlife, the next plane, whatever you want to call it, the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, the Native Americans certainly seem to think so. Thousands yeah. of years of them, right? Yeah. So um, there's probably something to it.
0: And then, you know, the way that they're designed is like a sacred geometry, flower of life design. Mm-hmm. You know, what I Kind mean? of like a mandala. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, which is, once again, it's of... All the weird, esoteric, trippy shit that I'm into, new age, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Let's get some crystals and burn some sage. But um, <clears throat> I, I think she has something to do with the dream catchers, and also could just because I have an aversion to dream catchers since when I lived at my grandfather's house years ago, one of my most alarming instances or encounters with paranormal was um, I was laying in bed one night. I had a dream catcher. So I'm laying... Uh, Eric, do you have a tack around here somewhere? A tack? Yeah. A thumb tack. Uh, yeah. You know what? I could just use this as an example. I could use this. So I'm laying in bed, and there's a shelf above my bed, right? Okay. And uh, <clears throat> in the shelf, there's like a tack in. Okay. But it's not pushed in all the way to where the head of the tack is touching the shelf right so there's a space there's still some space here between the shelf and the head of the tack right so it's sitting behind this lip on the metal Okay. so I'm laying in bed and I hear Mm -hmm. "Eh." first of all there's nothing up there that's could have fallen from any distance that would make that loud of a bang nothing that heavy Mm -hmm. I open my eyes to that noise and my dream catcher is falling next to my face like, like the feather from Forrest Gump. Uh-huh. Right? It falls and lands on the pillow right next to my face. I get up alarmed and look at my shelf. No, nothing else has been adjusted or moved. Just that dream catcher. And for it to come off, you know, the tack is still in. It would have to come and then jump over the oh, lip. Yeah. So in my mind, it's something <clears throat> fucking ripped that thing off. You know, it, it did not like me. It did not want me to have that dream catcher. Oh. Um...
1: Somebody was sending you a message of some kind. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That I, I needed to have my dreams or it wanted it didn't want that dream catcher any there anymore so it could or it was almost like an evil spirit tried to come and it, the dream catcher, you know, worked as a magnet or whatever mm. it does for spirits and it the the spirit hit it so hard that the impact, you know, knocked it off or something. Um,
1: sure. I can I can imagine that happening. I don't know too much about the actual Native American lore behind the dream catchers. I know what like tourist pamphlets and the promotional right, stuff right. say about it. If you're playing this over your bed, then it catches the bad dreams. Right. <clears throat> now whether that's what they used it for or something else. But if, if all of these material objects have some paranormal property, consider the properties, consider the, the um, um, materials that go into the construction of a, of a dream catcher. In your house where you live now, What if those dream catchers on the wall, you said there's more than one of them, right? Mm -hmm. What if they are acting like barriers? Maybe she would like to go. But the dream catchers, because of some paranormal property about the geometry of the the, Mm -hmm. the, the thing or the materials they're made from, are keeping her there. Right. It's just a hypothesis.
0: Uh, Then there could be truth to that.
1: You could uh, go and ask her.
0: Or what if they could be working as a reverse portal so instead of working as a vacuum to pull in spirits it's working as a blower to push out spirits possibly damn Indian threaded my fucking dream catcher backwards and now I got a oh. portal instead of a dream catcher oh that would be classic uh, mistake we've all been there we've all I, been there I can see how that could be a problem <laughs> it would be a major no. problem um maybe I need to I need to download one of those apps and uh Sure. Maybe I could borrow your recorder. You can come over. You're, you're more than welcome to come over. I've
1: got like five recorders.
0: I'm going to get some absinthe. Even though the last time I drank absinthe, um, I got blackout drunk and couldn't remember anything. I had to be told the next day what I said and did. I, was yeah. like,
1: oh, I remember. I remember there was a chandelier hanging over that table. And yeah. all of a sudden, it, the absinthe hit both of us at the same time. And we we're
0: like, oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yeah. uh-huh. Because because it just you know absinthe just turns up the volume on colors and things a little bit. Yeah. It's not really powerfully psychoactive. We got that drunk that night because we were drinking that
0: much. Yeah, and we were drinking. And We a could lot have drunk too. anything and got that drunk. Yeah, but in uh, the mixture because we were drinking mead and oh yeah 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 something else too. We I poured mean,
1: all kinds of stuff on top of each other that you probably shouldn't.
0: All sorts of shit storm.
1: Yep. Um, oh man. But um, you know I like to say that. Van Gogh wasn't crazy. He was an absinthe drinker. He was just painting what he saw. Yeah. You know, Starry yeah. Night. You yeah. can see, you get just, you hit just the, the right amount of absinthe in the right amount of time. And you can walk outside and you're like, yeah, I dig. I dig. <laughs> I can see where that comes uh, from.
0: <laughs> I know you're not big into psychedelics. I don't know how much you know about dimethyltryptamine, DMT. Just. That shit you sent me, man. Yeah, Just, uh, I was. <laughs> messenger. I actually smoked some DMT again not too long ago, a couple weeks back. And um, one of the weird things that it did, effects that it had on my vision, was that it. It was like it dropped the barrier between space. Like I said, the. William Blake once again, you know, uh, when the doors of perception are cleansed, things will appear to man as they truly are, infinite. Mm -hmm. And you know, part of that idea is that we're all one. The universe is one big quilt. You know, these. So it
1: makes you feel connected.
0: But when I smoked the DMT, it literally dropped like the. There was no more depth perception between like objects, and it was like. You were looking at something as, you know, my friend was also the brick wall behind him and the tree that was just, you know, this much closer. And they were all kind of one thing. And he had a third eye and weird esoteric... See, that's a really good reason for me not to
1: try it. For me, that's a good reason for me not to try it. I'm not looking forward to an experience like that. (laughs) What do you
0: think about mushrooms? I mean, it's one of the... Classically, it's one of the... I mean religions and cultures all over the world for eons have been eating psychedelic mushrooms um and DMT and psilocybin which is the active ingredient mm-hmm. in psychedelic mushrooms are only like one molecule off in their chemical chains like uh, if you, like if I showed you a picture of their chemical mm-hmm. chains there's are only one and mescaline um, yeah they're only one off mm-hmm. um yeah mescaline as, as well mm-hmm. so um I don't know, I just wonder if there's, and that's, that, that infinite that, that's another thing that brings me back to the darkness, and I just, I don't know, it's a lifting of the veil, it's just showing you the, the infinites, and then it kind of all comes back, I think what it is, is that everything is infinite and connected, and that our perception for this mortal soul and existence has to create depth and separation in order to keep us from going insane. Because if I would have had to try to operate, if, if I ever got stuck like that for the rest of my life, it would have been difficult to operate. It would have taken a little while to get used to.
1: Um. <laughs> Having never experienced something to that degree, I cannot uh, I cannot imagine. So um, I'll have to take your word for it.
0: But It's very intriguing. F- I'm sorry, f- the reason I brought that up, though, too, sorry, sorry, mm-hmm. it's because you were talking about the absinthe and how mm-hmm. it brightens the colors. And that was one of the immediate onsets of the, the DMT was mm. that it was like I just had my eyeballs cleaned and I was seeing color for the first time. I like and, and it was the natural world, but it was just way more colorful than it had ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry to cut you off. What were you about to say? But
1: uh, I get what you're saying. And, you know, people have been using chemical means to uh, alter their consciousness and get in touch with, like, different realms for 10,000 20,000 years Um, every time not every time but there have been instances where archaeologists have uncovered drug kits you know from uh, a shaman or something and uh, and they include the usual ingredients you know there's some cannabis there's some some kind of psychoactive uh, hallucinogen a mushroom or some other plant Mm. and uh, if you look at the religious texts of ancient India the Vedas yeah. They had a, a a a drink called soma.
0: Yeah, yeah, soma.
1: That uh, did the same thing, you know. The Brahmins would imbibe this stuff, and they'd go on to a different plane of existence where they would communicate with their gods, and uh, and come back and then you know dictate it and, and stuff. That stuff wasn't written down for thousands of years though. Um, it was passed on orally, but. Um, but so there's, the, you know, every culture, if you go far enough back, has had an experience with, um, with using these natural pharmaceuticals to, um, to expand their consciousness. But the question that I've always had was if it takes a chemical, to expand your consciousness how authentic is it right you know there are other guys who can, through Transcendental Meditation mm-hmm. they don't touch anything no chemical yeah. and they will still feel that their consciousness has been expanded yeah. they 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 are now enlightened or more enlightened than they were and they report the same things feeling connected. They see the connections how everything is connected to right. everything else, which I would accept as an axiom. I think everything is connected to everything else. It's just something that I intuit. I just kind of know that it is mm-hmm. without having to see for myself. Right, right, you know. So so yeah, I think that that well, think about this, if it's real, if this being able to perceive the wider universe experience is authentic then if there is a ghost in the room, is there a, a drug you could take that would experience make you see it right. when everybody else doesn't? I will, I've never thought about that. I've never heard of anybody reporting an incident like that. Um, you know, where it's like, oh my god, there's a, there's a ghost over there and nobody else is high and so they don't see it. But then, you know, the ghost manifests in some way that everybody knows that the dude is right, right. There, there really is a ghost over there that would be an interesting experiment to do it
0: would be interesting mm-hmm. um i'm not going to take it yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and even if you were i would never ask you to admit that on my podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: i just don't want to get in trouble
0: no yeah you totally know, if, cool. if, if
1: some of this stuff was legal and my might i might like if, if
0: mushrooms became legal yeah um, so I feel like devil.
1: almost the only thing I got going for me, man, is my mind, and I don't want to yeah. pull a trigger on something that's gonna have an avalanche effect on me and and you know, I wig out. Right, right, right. I need things to keep
0: working the way they are, like at least at, at least as good as they are. I like Hopefully how you better. said the avalanche effect because in one of the documentaries that I watched about psychedelics recently, they compared the use of psychedelics to like. Um, a fresh coat of snow that what it is is your brain but it's, it's good for like helping alcoholics, people with anger issues or certain neuroses mm-hmm. um, to take psychedelics because your brain gets so in these patterns and every time and every day that it goes through these patterns it just digs reinforces it Right, and it digs the track deeper mm-hmm. and it works like a uh, sledding on a hill and the, every time you do it, it just digs into the snow more and more and more until you're running into mud. But then when you take psychedelics, that it's like a fresh coat of snow. And that, with that, you can help try to plot new patterns. Um, and, and, and and like you said, you shouldn't need to do drugs to, uh, you know, create new habits for yourself. But it is certainly nice to have a cheat code or something. Um... If you can use it. If a cheat if you code. use it. Yeah,
1: it's a really good way of putting it. Well, you know, I, I think that the use of psychedelics has a legitimate medical um, and psychiatric yeah. use. and Outside think, of
0: all the esoteric right. and weird stuff, I do too. Um,
1: although we would never do this experiment, there have been a few cases over the years where people have taken like 100 times the dose of LSD that they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And after they've recovered... They become deathly ill. Yeah, up, yeah, they you know. become violently ill. And um, I read an article about this. State just of that too. rolling their eyes up in their head, kind of mm-hmm. out of it, throwing up.
0: Um, Shitting blood, all yeah. that stuff.
1: But when they get over it, sometimes their clinical depression is also gone right. permanently.
0: Or they're bipolar.
1: Right. You know, it's like cases from the 1960s and the early 1970s where people take 5, 10, 100 times as much of LSD as they're supposed to. Of what the usual recreational dose is whatever right, that is right, right. and um, and it has some lasting and beneficial uh, effect on their psychology on their psychiatric condition and there's lots of anecdotal evidence that scientists yeah. are starting to pick up now and and doing clinical studies of like microdosing dosing
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know to to manage things like anger anger management right. you must have read some of these articles too yeah
0: are you familiar with Paul Stamets He's a mycologist, and he's been on Joe Rogan Experience a couple times. One of his anecdotal um, evidences is when he was younger, he had a really bad stutter. And then, uh, and I mean, for years, he had a really bad stutter. Like, he couldn't talk to, you know, pretty girls and stuff like that. He just had, like, a a horrible stutter. Well, he had this profound um, mushroom experience where he took however many grams of mushrooms, I think it was like 12 or 15 which is like Terence McKenna recommended five grams of dried mushrooms, so 15 is, and that's for a, a heroic dose. Like if I wanted to take mushrooms to trip and have a good time and like even get a little weird and spiritual, I would eat three and a half grams. So five, you know, 15 grams is that's a lot. Um, and then he climbed this tree And was like in a tree during a rainstorm or something but he kept talking to himself and repeating to himself I will not stutter and he kept telling this to himself and after his mushroom experience and and going through this exercise that he no longer had a stutter and you know I watched a podcast with him and he speaks very fluently um, very intelligible. His name is Paul Stamets? Paul Stamets yes.
1: I know Paul Stamets but he's a fictional character from Star Trek Discovery and he's a mycologist. Really, I wonder if that character is based on the guy you're talking about.
0: I wonder. But
1: um, well, if you are interested in mushrooms and you know the fungal aspect of enlightenment, there's some interesting episodes of that show. Okay. Um, he's an astromycologist, and he Paul Stamets, the astromycologist in the show, has um, discovered that. All life in the universe, and not just this universe, but all the parallel parallel universes, is connected through a web of basically space fungus that exists in a discrete subspace domain, is the way he puts it. So you don't see it, you don't see the connections, but it's there. And if you have the right equipment, you could see this equipment in the show. But that just amazes me that uh, that there's an actual dude named Paul Stamets.
0: He's a really interesting fellow too. Um, He has. I think he he like publishes a magazine as well that's about mycology and it's not just about psychedelic mushrooms i mean he's a mycologist in the full sense yeah so one of the things that he's um kind of pushing right now is i think it's reiki mushrooms that if, if you take the mycelium from reiki mushrooms and add it to uh, supplement it to water for bees that it helps it will help almost double their lifespan um, really really yeah, because the mycelium supplement in the water, like, uh, helps their immune system. It makes them stronger. Mm-hmm. So it can help double their lifespan, and, which, I mean, fuck bees are going extinct. Um, so that's a really important thing. I mean, mushrooms could literally save the world, and it's not psychedelic mushrooms. So it's it's not, I'm not into mushrooms just for hippie shit. Right. I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to grow them to eat. I love eating, uh, like, regular mushrooms. Mm-hmm. That's a good food source. Yeah. Um. Um, um, there's another thing, but another thing that he likes to talk about, and I mean that I like to research and read about too, is psychedelic mushroom research with uh, people with depression and anxiety and stuff like that. Um, they've been doing things at John Johns Hopkins, mm-hmm. I believe, um, clinical trials. So it's getting more, it's getting less taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting more accepted. I think it's going to follow the path that marijuana has followed. And um, MDMA is another one too mm. that they're starting to do clinical trials with with people with depression. I actually think it's legalized in California and different places for like therapy. That's MDMA is like the um, main ingredient in ecstasy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're using that for people with like um, depression and stuff like that. Is anybody in here? No. None of my podcast guys are here. I want to wrap up in a second. And, uh, I don't want to look stupid when I go to wrap up. Where the fuck do I go, Eric? Tom. Now I look stupid not going to wrap up. <laughs> Hello? Do you know what time it is, Patrick? I'm to wrap up. My phone's off. I'm about to wrap up, Eric. Sorry, bud. It's all good. Um, so, sorry to be so abrupt, Patrick. 753. Okay. So we've been going at it for a little over two hours now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we started about a little bit before six. Um. I know where to find you myself, because I can personally hit you up. How can people who want investigations done that aren't me uh, contact you outside of Facebook? Your spook group is the name of your, your company, right? Well, it's not really a company. It's going to be.
1: But um, think of the spook group as like an institute for paranormal studies. And it's not just about ghosts. It's about anything. I can find out to what degree you are telepathic. There's a test for it. Um, those kinds of things also interest me. The, the whole ESP psychic yeah. stuff. And, um, and they're simple tests. But if anything, if somebody is interested in the paranormal, any aspect of it, except maybe Bigfoot and flying saucers, then you can find the spook group on Facebook and you can uh, post a message there, ask to join. I will see the uh, the request. And unless, you know, you're clearly a negative type of person, then I have no problem approving anybody's request to join. But it's sort of the clearinghouse. I don't publish all the stuff that I've discovered. Uh, I don't publish all of my evidence that I've collected. But when I choose to, that's the the first place I go. Okay. So you'll see videos of, of me ghost hunting. And you'll see video, <laughs> videos of me and my daughter, who is six. And she is growing up to be a good first-class investigator herself. She's already not scared of ghosts anymore. She's just scared of the dark.
0: <laughs> I get that. Mm-hmm. I used to be scared of the dark as a kid. Who wasn't? Still still am sometimes. Mm-hmm. We fear what we don't know, what we yeah. don't understand. Um, so that's how people can find you to to join in with kind of the Institute of Spook group and kind of the, how do people contact you to get, like if if, they're, if, if if Eric's house is haunted, well, bad example, he can just talk to you after the podcast. But if he couldn't <laughs> and his house was haunted and he wanted you to come give you a, a monetary uh, to, to investigate. Well,
1: first of all, I welcome the opportunity to investigate as a new opportunity to gather evidence. So nobody's going to ever pay me. I don't accept money for doing an investigation in somebody's house. But if uh, somebody tells me that they have a problem and it's bothering them, they don't know what it is that's going bump in the night, then as long as they don't come across as like a flake or something, then I will go do it for free, just for the, and and gratefully do so, for the opportunity to collect more evidence. But uh, if you were trying to find me, um, the best way is to find me on Facebook. I don't give out my my phone number or anything else. Yeah, that's
0: you know, fine. Yeah. So spook group or Patrick Bishop on Facebook, Mm -hmm. and then you'll help free investigations? Nobody take advantage of that, no crackpots, no no, uh, schemers? Well, usually what's going to happen is if you've got a problem in your house, I will tell you to
1: do a few things first, and you will tell me how that worked out and what was the effect of that experiment. And uh, then I will decide whether or not... uh, (coughs) Something more. If boots need to be on the ground, right? Uh, the Spook Group is—it's not a team, you know. We think of paranormal teams. It's not a team. It's a pool of investigators. And I'm gonna be like, okay, so we've got—we've got, we've got a, a house that needs an investigation in Caroline County, and uh, the the family is willing to let us in. <clears throat> From these dates to these dates, who can come? And uh, from our pool of researchers, we'll assemble a, an ad hoc temporary team. And we'll go in, we'll do our thing, be very professional about it. Then we'll come back and review the evidence. And if there's anything important that we find, we'll share that with the
0: people who invited us. Cool. Yeah. Well, hopefully this opens, this podcast opens a couple more doors for you to uh, more opportunities, more evidence, more, I mean, more data to look at, to mm-hmm. compare and contrast. That's the important thing. Yeah, I want want data.
1: If you want somebody to scare the ghosts out of your house, I'm not your guy. Okay. I think that the dead have as much right to be in a place as the rest of us. Uh, My sense of compassion includes them. The thing that I hear more often on my recordings than any other thing is some version of the phrase, help me. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done an investigation where I didn't have at least one. Help me, assist me. Help me to do this. Help me to get out. Help yeah. me to leave. Um, please help me. Can you help me? Are you a doctor? I've heard things like that before. But uh, the dead, the thing that they ask for more than anything else is some kind of help.
0: Yeah. Maybe they're not trying to... You know, maybe certain people are not trying to scare you. They're just confused. I think... F- I think. fumbling around.
1: 99 times out of 100, the ghost is not interested in scaring you. He doesn't get anything from it. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, so if you want to get somebody, if you want to get the ghost out of your house, you need to talk to other people. I will come and tell you what you have in your house, if there is something in your house. But uh, cleansing—that's what they call it. That's not my—that's not my business.
0: Gotcha. And then, last thing, ghost tours. Do you have you have tours that you offer too, don't you? Used to. Okay. Um, <clears throat> my partner in that
1: ran an antique store out of the building that we took the people on, and she sort of is in a semi-retired phase right now she so yeah. didn't want to do it full-time anymore and the rent at the place was so high that unless you were doing antiquing full-time you couldn't afford the rent right so we've lost the uh, opportunity to investigate there oh, man. well it was uh, going to happen sooner or later right and right changes the universal law of life yeah but there's no shortage of places around here to, uh, to investigate yeah, that's no stories for sure. Ghosts.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And now we'll now we've got a bunch more eyes on you, and uh, can help open some doors for you. Um, that's another thing too. I'm sure it's hard for, or can be hard for an investigator, because unless I know you, why should I trust you in my home? I'm sure people can be shaking that way. So it's good to give you this two-hour-long uh, discussion to just display your demeanor, yeah. um, and your mannerisms, and display that you're a, a trustworthy guy. I'm in
1: it for legit reasons. Yeah, I can see that. I'm not casing your house to steal your TV. I've got yeah. a TV. Yeah. I've got everything I need. You probably don't
0: even watch it that much either.
1: I discontinued my cable like two years ago. Smart. I, I watch a DVD now and then. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I'm, think of me as a scientist, not a showman. I'm not going to exploit you. If you have a problem in your house, I'm not going to put your name out there and, uh, or drag other people into it. It's not going to become like The Haunting in Connecticut, where anybody who lives in that house has to build a fence around it to keep uh, to keep all the paranormal investigators out. Right. Um, discreet on the level. If you have something going on, I will tell you what it is,
0: and that'll be the end of it. Beautiful. Great. Thank you, Patrick. Thank Patrick you for Bishop of Spook Group. Yes. sir. Podcast over. The Not Cast. Thank you, Eric.